0: Hello, welcome to the I Am The Code podcast season three. I am so excited to have you listen to the I Am The Code podcast. Season three is just here and the team is rebuilding inclusion. I really believe that this is the right time for us to rebuild the inclusion. And guess what? The amazing person who's going to help me open season three is here. Her name, Rebecca She's from Cameroon, a tech entrepreneur, an investor, and the founder of Appstack. She's really awesome. We love her in Africa. She's best known for her work in promoting technology in Africa, boosting investment, and supporting our excellent tech ecosystem full of brilliant innovators. Hello, 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 and hello again, innovators, if you are listening to this podcast. She opened up about her upbringing the lessons she learned from her father, racism across the world, and how to stay yourself during this turbulent time we have right now. So she really talked about authenticity, being yourself. You have nothing to prove to anyone. I really hope you enjoyed my conversation with Rebecca because she was just really sweet, awesome, and totally uh, herself. I will see you on the other side. Rebecca, good afternoon or good morning. Where are you? I'm right now. I'm
1: in the US and so it's still a little bit morning. Oh, wow. Rebecca, I'm so happy we have you on the podcast. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. And I'm such a fan of the podcast and the guests that you've had on are just amazing. So it's
0: really an honor to, to join you today. Absolutely. You know, I I always said to people, there are two things that I always say uh, when we invite people on the podcast and the reason why we want to have them. And I think there are two couple of things that you really did for us. And and I wanted the girls and the boys uh, in Kakumo refugee camp all around the world listening to this to understand, you know, why we're doing this. And so there there are a couple of things. First of all, you are celebrated in our continent. So you are an African woman. We all love in the continent. For me personally, I feel that you show up and you help people, uh, you you get into the projects, you speak for our continent, um, and and you speak on our behalf as well. Uh, And I've wanted the girls and boys to hear that. And I think the second component is that, you know, you're a very kind person, very straightforward, um, you know, very honest and have integrity, and this is really important for uh, boys and girls growing up in Africa to have to understand. Uh, you know, leaders like you are actually shaping and paving the way. So that's why we wanted to have you. Um, our podcast, the season three. So welcome to the I Am the Code podcast. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Great. So, um, so, so, what did you do before COVID nineteen? What did I do before COVID-19?
1: So the the few weeks right before the pandemic hit, I was traveling, you know. Um, I spend a lot of time traveling. I think in um, 2019, Mm -hmm. I traveled about 400,000 miles. Wow. um, And so I had been traveling. I had been through Europe, the U.S., uh, Kenya, um, South Africa several times. And Mm -hmm. I returned to Cameroon, because I live in Cameroon, and um, I had been just landed in Cameroon um, from Cape Town, I mean from Cape Town via Nairobi, Mm -hmm. and um, the borders closed. The borders in South Africa closed right right after I left, and the ones in Cameroon also closed right after I landed. So I feel very fortunate because I was on one of the last flights into the country.
0: Wow! And so you, so you basically you quarantined in Cameroon.
1: Yeah, I quarantined in Cameroon. Um, the August, mm-hmm. I was, um, yeah, in Cameroon. Oh my god! And how was that like? Let's say that uh, we didn't have any confinement in Cameroon, so people could go about and do what they wanted to do. Really, there was very little other than the travel restrictions um and then there were some more you know restrictions as to numbers of crowds and things like that but um businesses and work and still went on i personally um closed the office and asked people to work from home um because i just thought it was more prudent but it wasn't you know um it wasn't obligatory and um yeah so you know it's always hard you know when you're on the continent um and you have so many conversations that you need to have with people yep. that are outside the continent that may not always be conscious of our issues with mm-hmm. um internet um and you know it's so funny because everybody that's in Africa knows that you don't do a zoom <laughs> with, with your video on you know <laughs> you keep the video off and it's something that 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 people that are connecting with Africans are so not conscious of most of the time that every single conversation, every single minute that you're on a call is a cost to the person that's connected. So, you know, it's, it's not as if, you know, we have these, these unlimited data plans like you have in Europe and in the U S or Asia, you know, so people, when they're connected that's how committed and engaged they are because it is costing them, it's being deducted from their data every, you know, every second that they spend wow. on a conversation. And it just tells you, you know, I'm involved in this entrepreneurship program mm-hmm. called um, the uh, Women in Africa Cooperative, which is a, yeah. like a support system for women entrepreneurs across Africa and you know the the compliance um you know ev- they're all connected even though there is a real cost um to each and every connection and each and every minute. So, you know, Africans don't always often put their videos on, but it's not because, you know, they're trying to hide or anything. (laughs) It's just that it's to preserve
0: um, data. You know, it's fascinating you said that because here in Europe, you know, we we have the COVID-19. So I'm in the UK now. And basically we don't want to even show our video because of like we are in pajamas and we're in our homes. And I mean, there's so many issues that we're dealing with, totally different to the one (laughs) the Africans care about it's really unbelievable wow yeah it is it is you know so you were born in Cameroon and then what was your child look like? You know, what was it? You know, you, you sound very, very, uh, you know, very tough and, you know, but mm-hmm. also very fair. So do you mind just maybe people may not know, actually, you are you are mixed race. Do you mind just sharing? Yes. Um, so I am I was born in Cameroon. My mother
1: is uh, an American woman, a white American woman. And mm-hmm. um, my father is um, was he passed away in 2008 mm-hmm. um, at Cameroonian. Um my father was a lawyer and a very prominent lawyer. And my mother uh, has, oh my gosh, she, she's done a lot of things, but really she's a writer. Um, and so I had two very, very intellectual parents um, who really pushed each and every one of us to learn and um, to push ourselves intellectually, um, I always, you know, remember all these conversations with my dad, these arguments and these fights. But I think what he tried, he tried to do, was to teach us how to properly argue and and defend our position. You know, I really good would at do, that,
0: by the way. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> took that from
1: him. <laughs> he would he would actually sometimes take the opposite side of an argument. Um, that he believed in, just to see how far we could push our argument. So the art of arguing, the art of debating, the art of being able to defend your viewpoint was so important to him um, that, that he would challenge and challenge and challenge um, and which we can't do in it,
0: Africa unfortunately <laughs> we got to do which
1: which which is a very interesting thing because mm. in Africa and, and in our context in yeah. Cameroon especially it's not something that people want and it's very different to be raised by somebody that really wants you um, to have ideals and to defend those ideals, Amazing. and my father had so many problems with the the um, the regime, and you know um, made so many sacrifices to have his independent voice, um, have a voice that was uniquely his, where he could take positions many times against the government and. Um, you know really keep standing up for those uh, for his those convictions and it was very difficult Um, you know he was uh, under um, house um, I wouldn't say arrest but the the house was being monitored you know 24 7 um, by police and and did he grow um, up seeing that Yes, absolutely. Yes. So, um, you know, at one point, the government took away all his properties and, and, um, you know, so he sued the government and won, which is so rare. But, you know, just to have that courage to say, hey, I know I'm right and I'm going after the actual government and I'm taking them to court. He needed law Um, and facts, right? He needed law and facts, which we don't know that much in Africa sometimes. um, I think, you know, I think the government was for one stunned. Um, but I think the force of his argument and, you know, the 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 documents that he had, um, you know, he he got through it and he won. He won against the government. And um so I I, I think that I I learned a lot from that, from his courage and his real independent voice and mm. um, where, you know, he, he never took any position with the government um yeah. and didn't benefit in any way from any government anything. Mm. So I think that that allowed him to be free um and to be able to speak his mind.
0: And did you have any siblings?
1: Oh, well, I have lots of them. <laughs> <laughs> there are 12 of us. Oh, wow. twelve From different mothers. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. Yeah, my dad was busy. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> so yeah so I have some in the UK um, I have some here in the US and um, but but um, uh,
0: many in, in, in Cameroon and most of us are are, uh, are pretty close you know now you are really a prominent um, you know woman in Africa and and you love championing um, all the women what do you remember about him that you have and sometimes you you know when you sit down you think you say you know I took this from my dad what do you think about sometimes well
1: you know just as what I was saying, my dad was not into being popular. My dad didn't care if people liked him or didn't like him. He just thought it was the weirdest thing that people would behave and act for other people, and he just thought it was strange, you know. And so that independent voice, um, I think I got that from him. Um, is is I really want to be able to speak my mind. Um, and to speak on behalf of people that can't speak. So to to do that, you really have to be almost in a position of strength. I could not speak up the way I speak up today about, you know, some social injustice situations Um, if I weren't in the position that I'm in. If, you know, a few years ago, I I would not have had the courage to say some of the things and to do some of the things that I do today. so I think that because I've been working and you know I, I kind of get known, I've been known a little bit around, at least on the tech scene. That's given me the voice that I um, can now use to. Um, to talk on topics that are mm. of importance to me. So why you champion women? Of course, women. Um, that's that's one aspect, obviously. Mm. Um, it's, you know, be able to support women. But, you know, you support women. And, and we were talking about this, this this morning with the Kakuma girls is that, you know, there are so many ways to support women. One, The first way that I support women is that I bring on you know, every year we bring on interns. And if a woman in tech wants to do an internship, we never say no, you know, it doesn't matter how full we are, how, you know, the program is, is, you know, maybe we have too many people, we never say no. Um, And, you know, there's, there, 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 so there are various ways that um, I can, I can support Mm -hmm. women, um, definitely um, trying to make sure that in all the organizations that I'm mm-hmm. involved in, on all the companies that I'm involved in, to make sure that uh, be- when I have the decision-making um, uh, ability or if I can do anything to make sure that women are promoted, um, make sure that women are paid um, equally to men, to make sure that women understand that they have opportunity and that they should take on um, uh, additional challenges. So I think some of this is is more personal than um, it might be, you know, public um, women rights. Um, I'm not, I mean, you know, I'm not best known for women rights. I'm known for no, you rights. Are, <laughs> we are more, more than that. women, right? but I happen to be a woman. Yes. Um, and surrounded by so many wonderful women in 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 the organizations and um companies that i'm involved in i mean it's it's unbelievable that the talent and you know how how women have really really um, help to build and grow these um, companies and organizations.
0: You know, I think we, we just we just talk about championing women, but I I can personally say, yes, you are right, championing women is not always you know raising the bar of activists or feminists, but I think also being a leader and championing other people. You championed us, that's why you know we we had a funding uh from Salesforce, uh, you know, a, a small, small funding uh to help us with our mentoring program, but also you know, we had a relationship with Salesforce. So I think. I think there's other ways of championing, uh, you know, organizations like charities like us. So we definitely would like to thank you for that. You know, the, the other thing I also noticed is that you actually started your business very long time ago before, uh, you know, many people in the continent have started the, you know, the ERP, uh, you know, the company selling ERP solutions and selling to government. Would you mind just telling, you know, our girls and boys and our audience, you know, what made you get into the tech sector and how did you started your company?
1: I started my company in 1999, um, AppStech. I started in the U.S., and even in the U.S., it was a time where there was nobody doing what I was doing that looked like me. There were few women, very, very few women, and um, very few blacks. And I mean, I don't know, you know, other black women that were doing what I was what I was doing back then. Um, but I had always, you know, I had worked in technology and, um, I was a consultant at Oracle for a couple of years um, and before that was doing financial systems consulting um, with various organizations. And um, so I did have experience in the industry and I really had originally decided to, well, why don't I just go out on some on my own. And I have a, a, a very good friend of mine who later came on to join, um, the company Upstack, um, who said, you know, you'll make more money in consulting if you bill through a company instead of billing under your own personal name. And that's how I went to register the company. But then after thinking about it and after sitting and writing a business plan, I was like, I could really make money here. Um, <laughs> And so that's really how, um, how I got started. And, um, you know, I, I, quickly got, uh, one, the our first contract and then had to hire people, um, for that contract. And, you know, one thing, to, you know, led to another and, um, yeah, so that's how that's how I really got. It's started. fascinating,
0: you know. I mean, it's like you said, you know. Now we're in twenty twenty. All of this, uh, you know. I, I remember, you know, selling ERP solutions, and when I saw your name many years ago, I was like, wow. Oh, you know, she's doing the same thing as I'm doing. But it was some time ago. I was so impressed with that, you know. But also, the other thing I've noticed is that you are now, you know, really um, looking into industries, uh, you know, helping inventors, people who are inventing in the continent in Africa. Why do you think, um, you know, necessity is a mode of in- invention? Because, you know, you always talk about, you know, I, I hear your, your talks and your TED talks and everything you're doing across the continent. You're always asking us to invent, to create, to have ideas. Why do you think this is important for the continent? I mean, we are so
1: innovative. And I I think sometimes we don't realize how innovative we are. And I I do work with a lot of startups across the continent. And I'm always amazed at how little they know of how innovative they are. You know, so let me give you a couple of examples, right? So um, you talk about necessity being the mother of invention, which is great. I love that um, because it's so true. Um, there's one startup that's um, in Cameroon that does gaming. And um, they decided that they were trying to raise money, right? And so they were, weren't able to raise money in the traditional sense through venture capitalists and so on and so forth. So they they decided to do crowdfunding. Well, while they did it, they created an, an amazing crowdfunding platform um, that allows them to communicate on a regular basis with their investors without having to in, you know, communicate with them in, individually. Well, that's a platform that's unbelievable technology that they've built. They only built it because they needed it. They had no idea that they were actually building an entire new product. And so they were like, hmm, if we have kids on the games, maybe we could even get their parents and, um, you know, and sell them, sell the parents things on the on our platform as well. Like, you know, entrepreneurship training. I mean, this is I know this sounds crazy, but so what they did is that when they designed their their game, they designed it in such a way that the, the parents can participate so that the parents can actually buy credit for their kids, they can monitor the length, the amount of time that their kids are on the game um, and block them um, and say, you know, after two hours you have to, it stops. And so all of those things that they did just so they could get the parents as customers actually created a completely innovative game platform that will transform the way we do gaming. And the way the parents can control and participate in the games that their um, children are playing. And I think that, you know, and I've seen so many examples like that where there's this innovation that comes almost by accident. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we as Africans are not recognized enough for our innovation. Um, you know, I see startups in the U.S. and they're like, I mean, they get funding for these crazy, stupid things. And I'm looking at the amount of talent um, that we have on the continent. and I'm like, you know, how can we get these startups more support? How can we get these entrepreneurs to scale, to be able to, to sell to the entire world? I am so proud. We have one entrepreneur in, in, in Cameroon. Um, nobody knows his name. and. He's he's not one of those flashy guys. He built an app that has had over a million downloads in the world. What I love about um, this technology, uh, it's called Theme F E E M, is that nobody knows it's built in Africa. And whenever there are articles on it, you know, comparing you know um, Theme to other solutions, and it's a file sharing um, solution whenever they, they don't mention it's African. And I love that because it means that we are able to do top quality products. And you know, we always say that, that technology is a great equalizer because when you go and download an app, From your phone, you don't really check (laughs) to see if it um, was done by a man or was done by a woman or was done by an American or an African. You just want something that will work and that will provide solutions that you need. That is the
0: beauty of technology. I mean, that's to your point that, I mean, what you said about your dad earlier was really really resonated with me. You know, we are not trying to be popular here. We're trying to solve some issues and and that, that's what we're trying to do. So we're not trying to be the, in the next Forbes magazine because we are like, we just invented something. But we're trying to do something because we want to make sure that, you know, People need it and we want to use it. And that led me to my question to your role. We call you almost the chairwoman of tech in Africa now. And so what is the state of the tech ecosystem in Africa? You talk about all these inventions, these ideas we have. What do you think we should do to make sure the world knows about us?
1: I think we're like teenagers in the ecosystem, if you want to think about it that way, is that we've really started to mature. We're growing Um, At a tremendous rate in 2011, when Afrolabs, which is a a, a hub network, uh, was created, there were five hubs that started the network and there were like 10 hubs across the continent. Today, there are like 600 um, hubs in the continent. And Afrolabs, which started with five hubs, today has 225 member hubs. 105 cities, 47 countries, supporting a community of over a million entrepreneurs. That's just one organization. So I think that's really shows the growth and the fact that we're starting to structure ourselves and to organize ourselves. And I think that's really important because making those connections and being able to support each other's in- initiatives and make sure that's cross-continental is so important. Yeah, we just had our annual uh, general meeting for Afro Labs, And it was just the energy, even though we were on Zoom, the amount of energy and enthusiasm and commitment from people, many of whom are actually volunteers, um, to helping build the technology ecosystem. But we have challenges. And and one of those challenges, and and Mariem, you you and I have talked about this so much, and we've been so vocal about this, is why is it that we as Africans Mm -hmm. are not getting the same amount of funding as foreigners Mm -hmm. in Africa? In other words, are startups, are they African startups or are they startups in Africa? Um, And this is a challenge biases that we see in Silicon Valley and that Silicon Valley is finally in some sectors starting to recognize exists with them. And we're copying that bad part of Silicon Valley in Africa. Um, And a lot of it is because most of our funding does not come from the continent. So only... You know, in the last study, um, in the last survey I saw, it was like 20% of the funding to African startups came from African-based investors. We need to educate the rest of the world and show the rest of the world that viable solutions um, to our problems and theirs can come from the continent. I really, you know, one of the things that I loved during the meeting this morning with with the girls from Kakuma is that they are not victims no they're not right and they're not the the object of your of our support True, they are clearly and participants in solutions for the world Hmm. it just happens that they are refugees but they are part of the solution. They aren't the problem we're trying to solve. Um, And I think that changing that mindset within Africans and within people outside is critical. Stop thinking that you're going to bring solutions to Africa, you know, and stop. We as Africans need to stop thinking that the solutions come from outside, you know, even from a political standpoint, we can blame foreigners and the colonizers, we can blame them for centuries. They're not going to be the ones to solve our problems. No. And we really need to solve our problems ourselves. You know,
0: straight away, we think we are the problem, as you said. Straight away, you think, like, why it's not happening to us? And as you said, you know, why can't we just, like, show them what we do? And I think one of the things I like you saying earlier is about these refugees, they can become coders in 2030. I've been saying this for a very long time. No one will know they're refugees. Because it's not going to be written in the back. If they, you know, if they, uh you know software architects or coders or developers, nobody will know they are from South Sudan or Burundi or Kinshasa. Who cares? As long as they have the the tools, and that's what is necessary. So, you are right about changing the the mindset of the people in our continent, but also people in the West coming to to give us all of these solutions. You're absolutely right. But I mean, one of the thing I was gonna gonna ask as well, you know, while we're talking about the topic of ecosystem and and, you know, you are a mixed race, um, you know, powerful woman in tech. And, you know, your name comes all the time when people talk about tech in, in Africa. We celebrate you because we definitely know that, you know, you are a, a strong voice. But with fact and evidence, you know, you go in and fight for us. How do you feel about this? Do you think you there's a big responsibility on your shoulders? Do you know that there's
1: sometimes when I get so tired and I'm like, oh, I'm never I'm I'm cutting out all public I'm not doing any more conferences. I'm not doing any more talks just because it does affect me personally. Like I have no time to myself, my family, my friends, um, aren't necessarily thrilled about it. And then somebody or something will happen. Like, you know, the girls in Kakuma and it's so inspirational to hear them and to, to communicate with them that you, it's like a reminder of, you know, God didn't give you the voice that you have for you to stay home and have this very safe, orderly, quiet life. Um, If I have this voice is because I'm supposed to use it. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, sometimes I do get really, really exhausted and overwhelmed. um, But, you know, there's always going to be something that will say, hey, you know, This is so important. And, you know, when I was little, when I was a little girl, I remember my mom used to subscribe to, I think, Ms. Magazine at the time. And it would always come like months later because we were in Cameroon. And so it would come by boat. And so it would come months later. (laughs) But I remember the first time I saw a Black woman on the cover of a magazine. I, I actually took that magazine and I slept with the magazine. For weeks, I would not go to sleep without that magazine. It it meant so much to see somebody that looked like me on the cover of a magazine. That mm-hmm. um, I now I it's I'm very conscious of the symbol and the importance of symbolism mm-hmm. and role modeling um, for the women that are coming behind the young women and the girls that are you know looking to me and saying, okay, if she can do it, then I can do it, and so. That I think that's what motivates me to continue.
0: It's amazing you say that. And when you having that in mind, uh, you know the responsibility and paving the way for all the women and girls across across Africa and across the continent. You know what scares you when you are in the U.S. You hear all of this racism. Uh, you know the lack of inclusion, and and you come to Cameroon. It's another issue as well. So what scares you? Uh, do you feel scared for the world we are living in right now? No, I don't feel scared.
1: That's not something that characterizes me in general, is fear. I would see it as an obstacle or a challenge, but, but I would not fear it. You know, I think that having spent a lot of time in the U.S. and having started my company here, I do recognize very much um, the role of race. And, you know, the way I dealt with it when I first started my company is that I hid behind the product. So I built a company that you know the the, from the website and so on you would never imagine that i was the founder and ceo and my business card had no title i wanted to be able to walk into a situation and be a salesperson or be a contracting manager or be an engineer and whatever it required and to be honest many people didn't believe that it was my company anyway. So why bother <laughs> trying to convince them? I've, I actually had people saying like, okay, so who's really, really behind the company? So who is the real boss, you know? And so I actually, and I ha, I created a boss. Um, so one of my um, employees for purposes of communicating and, and this is it hurts but it's especially in africa but for purposes became my boss so like if it makes you feel better to get an email <laughs> from um you know so i I'll call my virtual white american boss but so if it makes you feel better you know it's it's but it's frustrating and i think that that you can you can take that you know hide behind your product and put the product first. Um, you know, the the great equalizer, because we don't, you know, it's, it's, it's all about your skill and your talent. It, it goes only so far, right? Because it goes only so far because it, it, you can get contracts and you can, you know, sell your product. Um, but then at one point you need to get funding. And mm-hmm. if you're going to scale to a really big level, right? Uh-huh. If you're going to re- stay and not be a small business, but be you know, be a, a a billion dollar company or a hundred million dollar company. You need funding.
0: Do you think women like us, African women, uh, any any women? Do you think we are audacious enough to to actually know we can do that?
1: I think we know, but I don't think other people know. You know, it, it's it's very. I mean, even in the U.S., black women get. I mean, it's not even like a percentage of a percent. I mean, it's a ridiculous amount. And actually, a a couple of years ago, they actually drafted a list of the women. Can you imagine the black women in America that had raised over a million dollars and it was 27 people, 27 27. of all the trillions, trillions of dollars in venture capital that goes into the most ridiculous startups women that are of color are having such a difficult time raising money because the world does not perceive that we are able to build billion dollar companies. You know, what really frustrates me is when you go into, you know, sometimes even our friends at the UN or, you know, World Bank, and and then as soon as they talk about the African woman, they talk about Ten thousand um, dollars? No, are you kidding? Micro <laughs> enterprise. So they're 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 very proud I walk about this. You know, these, usually I walk these, away. <laughs> they're very proud about these fifty dollars loans. That, I know. You know, are really just so survival loans. That's the perception, and that's what I'm trying so hard to change. Is you know to change that perception that African women are are for little things. You know, Black women can do little things. And if you want to do a big thing, you find a white male to do it. And that really, really frustrates me.
0: You are absolutely right. I mean, I remember in 2009, 2010, when we did the, when President Obama became president, we did the Apps for Africa. Uh, you know, I remember the first time we were trying to get the African CEO, the young entrepreneur. And I remember people saying to me, oh, you sure you have African people in tech? I said, yeah, I remember this very clearly today. Why don't you focus on poverty? Uh, you know, focus on poverty, forget forget about technology. And it's very fascinating because now the guy that says that, you know, I said to him, you know, every time I, I see the AfriLab map and everything you guys have been doing, I send him the link. I said, <laughs> of oh, poverty or technology. <laughs> but, you know, the other thing I was going to ask you as well, you know, is the, what would you say to a younger Serebaker now, you know, thinking about your dad being a rigorous lawyer, respectful, following the rules, what would you say to your younger self? I would say, don't sweat it.
1: Um, You know, everything is temporary. And, you know, no matter how um, difficult challenge seems, it it will get better. You know, it always gets better. There are ups and downs in life, and it doesn't change who you are. It doesn't change the core of who you are. It's just this change in circumstance. Um, But, you know, you can keep your internal joy regardless of what your circumstances are. And I wish I'd learned that lesson um, much earlier.
0: You know, while we're talking about circumstances, um, you know, we teach young girls how to code. And I believe like you that, you know, we are really uh, doing a service to humanity here by helping the less fortunate. Why do you think coding is important with all the industries we have in Africa? We have, we lack coders. We have, you know, we do have coders, but we need more. Why do you think it's important to teach, especially young girls, how to code? Oh, it's critical.
1: Those are jobs of the future. They're jobs of the present. Um, And we cannot have one sector of our society that does not have those skills. You know, we can't be only teaching boys how to code. Um, The girls need to know how to code. This is an imperative. It will, will help them give them independence. Uh, financial independence. It will open doors for them and it will give them freedom. And I'm I'm not saying that everybody needs to code, but I'm saying that everybody should have the opportunity to learn and to develop this skill so that they can have the freedom.
0: Our podcast is about resilience and and getting leaders like you to come and share their stories and their journey. You, You had had a lot of upside downs, but always remained yourself and strong you know, how, how did it become this resilient and, and confident? Is it because again your dad or did you did you get to build this by yourself? Oh my goodness. I think that when you
1: grow up in Africa and you grow up African, you build all those skills. You don't even realize how resilient you are. You know, looking at COVID-19, um, everybody is like, why is the you know mortality rate? so much lower in Africa. Why is this? And we are so resilient. We've been through so much um, not individually and as a continent that, you know, when another, you know, obstacle hits, you're used to it. You've already dealt with uh, similar situations. And I always say to people, you know, everything you do is practice to be, you know, to, to be better at something. Right. And so, you know, when 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 you have athletes, they will practice and practice and practice and practice to be the best athlete they could they possibly can be. Everything takes practice, including resiliency, including dealing with challenges, including you know. So the more you deal with challenges, and the more you you become accustomed to dealing with those challenges, you become really good at dealing with challenges. You become very good at it if you work hard um, and practice overcoming challenges. You get really good at overcoming challenges, and if you practice negativity you get really really good at being negative so why not work and and spend more time and energy being positive trying to overcome and um, than you know using our energy doing, doing trying to be negative you
0: are right the girls in Kakuma refugee camp the reason why they're so beautiful and strong like this they've been through a lot I and mean, I was saying to to them you are a refugee in your own continent can imagine two hundred thousand people living in refugee camp. This is Africa, the next generation, African workforce. This this is our workforce for the future. So what we're we gonna what we're we gonna do about this, you know, as a continent. And um and I think I really agree with you. I like what you when you when you said about you know scared. Um uh, you know you you see this as obstacles because I've seen you fighting, people you know doing stuff in your in your country. You know standing up for what is not right. You know, why, what would you say to our leaders today? What can they do to make sure we don't lose this generation of girls and boys living in refugee camps forever?
1: Oh, my goodness. First of all, um, give them their dignity back. And, um, you know, I think that there's this image that we put on refugees that is so desolate Um, give them their dignity back in every way you possibly can, is recognize that they are human beings. Um, They're not numbers, they're not statistics, but they're human beings and they are, not only will they be active participants in the development of our continent, they are already. Um, And so we really need to recognize and to harness um, that energy and those resources to use for building our continent. They don't want to be victims and they don't want to be objects of our charity. They want to be treated and considered as human beings that are in a particular circumstance today that's not of their choosing. I think that, that you know, really look at refugees, not just in Kakuma, but across the continent. In my own country, we have, you know, almost a million displaced, Um, you know, when you're looking at the uh, Boko Haram conflict in the extreme North, and you also look at the the Anglophone um, uh, conflict that has been ongoing. I mean, this this is really a catastrophic situation. Um, And again, we need to make sure that regardless of where physically people are, regardless of what their actual current circumstances are, that they always be considered and remembered as active participants in the development
0: of our continent. They cannot be left behind. So we have a couple of questions for you left. They are really important. Why being authentic is important for you? Well, I don't know any
1: other way. There's <laughs> 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 <It's> no copycat. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know any other way. Um, you know, I'm me. I'm, and As I say, you know, some of it goes back to my dad not like caring about you know, winning a popularity contest. And I think that I try. Um, you know, I'm I'm full of, you know, flaws and and things that I need to improve and that I work to improve every day of my life, um, to be a better person. Um, but yeah, I think authenticity is, you know, it's the most beautiful thing too. Mm. It's it's a type of freedom um to be yourself. There's only one you on this entire earth. So you know, if, if you can't be true to yourself and, and true to your values and your convictions, and you know, why hide why championing orders is important to you? Well, I think that I was championed, you know, it's really strange because I have gotten support from so many women um over the years, um, and men too, um, who believed in me. I have this gifts that I've been given from God is this voice that I have and if I don't use this opportunity to support the next generation um then you know it's it's I've buried my gift I've buried my talent and so it's really important for me to make sure that you know maybe that the, I faced, you know, closed doors. It's really important for me to kick those doors open and keep the door open so that the young women behind me and the young men behind me um, don't have to face some of the same challenges. They will face their own challenges, but please let them have it a little bit easier than we did.
0: You know, my son is 19 years old and I always tell him that you cannot have it all easy, but you know, try to have it a bit easy. (laughs) You're right. I mean, the the other thing I was going to ask you is what is humanity for you? Humanity is love. If you make any decision in your life based
1: on love, it's a gesture towards humanity. That's what being human to me represents is showing love. Um, and receiving love, I mean, that's the most beautiful thing. And and loving people that you've never met and you don't know and you'll never meet in your life, um, that to me is humanity. It's just love.
0: What is the the two things you've done the last couple of years that you're very, very proud of and you know that your dad would be really proud if any of you did it?
1: Well, I think the most um, probably I would say um, how... Afro Labs has grown. So I was elected board chair. um, It's been three years, three and a half years. Um, And I think that, you know, working with other fantastic people, especially women, because the Afro Labs board is um, primarily um, African women, and the executive team is also primarily African women, and working with this this fantastic team. We've taken the organization as you know I said earlier a few years ago we had 40 hubs and now we have 225. Um, we raised a lot of money for the Africa Tech ecosystem um, for to support technology hubs, to build their capacity, and to invest in African startups. So that's an additional almost $4 million that's going into the Africa Tech ecosystem within the next, you know, within a three-year period that we didn't have. And what's beautiful about it is that we're the ones, this is a grassroots organization. The fact that we were able to raise this money for our projects to do what we thought was best for the continent. I mean, that to me is, well, oh, I'm I'm so proud of that. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's probably what I'm most um, proud of, at least professionally. And personally? <laughs> my goodness, you know, I don't ever talk about my personal life. I became a grandma in February. So I guess oh,
0: so. Wow. <laughs> that's, amazing. that's amazing. You know, it's really, uh, the other thing, congratulations for that. What is abundance for, you know, now you are growing and, and respected in the continent. What is abundance? Do you feel abundance is linked to leadership? I'm, I'm not sure if it's linked to
1: leadership. I think abundance is, you know, how you perceive what you have. Um, Because you may not have a lot of material things or a lot of, you know, people congratulating you, but you have abundance. Abundance is, you know, and I'll tie it back to love. It's like this feeling of joy and accomplishment um, that maybe only you and God see, right? Nobody else is even aware that. Um, that, that you have this or that you've done something. Um, but I think abundance is, you know, sometimes we fail to see how privileged we are and how blessed we are. And so I think abundance is really seeing all of the things that you have in your life and seeing them in a positive uh, light instead of, um, you know, complaining about what you don't have.
0: You're right. You know, like Oprah always says, you know, always try to do the right thing, even if someone is not watching. The last question I wanted to ask you is that, you know, people may not know that you worked really hard. How do you deal with adversity? You know, And what what is the advice you have for these young people who give up so quickly? They don't they don't carry on relationships or they don't you know, they're not very resilient sometime in, in, in building relationship. I mean, first of all, you're not
1: entitled to anything right? So you're not entitled to my time. You're not entitled to my money. You're not entitled to anyone's time. You're not entitled to anyone's money. Um, You're going to earn it. And earning it means that it's going to take sacrifice and, and, you know, self-denial. First two years of my company, I was couch surfing. And for those of you that don't know what that means is I was going from one friend to another friend's house and sleeping on couches uh, for two years of my business, I, you know, because I didn't want to pay myself. I wanted to build my business. You, you cannot put personal comfort ahead of your goals. You will need to sacrifice. You have to be ready to give up some things. And, and comfort is the first thing you need to give up if you're going to be an entrepreneur. That's for sure. There's nothing comfortable about entrepreneurship.
0: My last, last question to you is, what would you have to say to young boys and girls across the world? And I think this podcast is the best ever, uh, but is it any message of hope that you have for our boys and girls uh, watching this new episode?
1: Well, I think that um, if we've been through this really difficult um, pandemic, we're still in it, but you know we've already come through it you know, th- this is historic. And the fact that you're you're watching this is a testament to how resilient you are. Um, and take that energy and take that resiliency and use it to apply to your goals, whatever they are. And they don't all have to be lofty, right? Not everybody has to want to be president. Not everybody needs to be a doctor we need nurses you know we need people to to be in all segments of society we need teachers whatever it is that you choose as a goal just be the best at it and your contribution will change lives rebecca thank you so much for
0: coming on our podcast we loved having you thank you thank Thank you you i love being here thank you thanks for being here bye-bye she's awesome i really hope you enjoyed my conversation with rebecca brilliant lady make sure you follow her on twitter she's absolutely active holding government private sector and investors accountable she wants people to start investing in the tech entrepreneurs of africa you know as per our team this season we must rebuild inclusion by investing in our people in africa and all across the world it is time to take action You have been listening to the I Am The Code podcast. I'm your host, uh, Mariem Jam. Remember to start building inclusion. Diversity is great, but including people, giving them a seat at the table, opening your heart to them, giving them a chance is what we need right now into our world. If you want to ask a question about the future episode of I Am The Code, you know where to get us. Please go on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Don't forget to donate to the I Am The Code Foundation so we can get our girls coding and give them the computers. Digital literacy is for everyone. Your support is absolutely needed. Thank you so much for being here. I'm delighted to have you on season three. We have more people coming, more leaders. You're going to hear from them and you will be inspired. I can guarantee you that you will be inspired with the guests we have for you. Thank you so much and I will see you very soon. Goodbye.